Welcome to the Accessibility Solutions Podcast, hosted by Linda Hunt, an award-winning accessibility consultant, speaker, and author. With over 30 years experience in senior management roles and a deep passion for creating inclusive environments, Linda brings us unmatched expertise and credibility to our discussions. Join us as we explore transformative power of accessibility and inclusion in today's world. Through captivating conversations, Linda shares her wealth of knowledge, provides practical solutions, and sheds light on the latest trends and advancements in the field. Whether you're a business owner or disability advocate or simply curious about the world of accessibility, this podcast is your go-to resource. Get ready to unlock new perspectives, break down barriers, and embark on a journey of empowerment. Are you ready to create a more inclusive world? Let's begin. Welcome to the Accessibility Solutions Podcast. So welcome, uh, listeners. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the Accessibility Solutions Podcast. I am so very thrilled this week to have Deborah Greenhut with me. And Deborah has a talk title called Who Cares for the Caregivers? She is an award-winning author of The Hoarder's Wife. Dr. Deborah Greenhut speaks on difficult subject in family mental health. Deborah speaks from personal experience and research to improve caregivers' quality of life. Deborah will bring her care and commitment to a passionate keynote or retreat to serve your group as a frequent family caregiver. Deborah is a sought-after interview guest and a highly regarded facilitator of writing and goal-setting workshops. And I personally am so glad to have Deborah as my guest on the Accessibility Solutions Podcast, because as my listeners, I am a person with a disability, and I could not live uh, the life that I live without the support of Uh, my caregivers, either my paid caregivers or my family caregivers. Um, And so I'm going to, you know, kind of turn it over to Deborah to talk about the importance of those caregivers um, having their support system uh, behind them and making sure that the caregivers are looked after. So do such an important role that they play in the lives of Persons with Disabilities and Being a Caregiver. So welcome to the show, Deborah. And uh, please uh, just give us your insight into the importance of caring for the caregivers. Thank you, Linda. I have, uh, as you mentioned, been a caregiver, a family caregiver, several times in my life. And I should also mention that I'm living with a chronic disease, which blossomed during one of my first caregiving episodes. So I have diabetes type 2. And yet, very often my family has called on me to be the caregiver. Now, for many of us, it's a labor of love, but unfortunately, often for quite a high percentage of the elder caregivers, this will become an early ending to their lives. So it is a pretty serious concern. And while we love our family, we also need to love ourselves. That's uh, one of the fundamental principles that I like to advocate for. There are about 55 million caregivers in the United States right now, family caregivers, and we represent the largest healthcare company in the U.S., and most of us are not paid. So you may have heard about the drain on finances of family caregivers at times, particularly if family won't help the caregiver or if the caregiver can't find 
available resources from the social safety net, often the caregivers' finances are ruined because they must contribute to the support of the person they're caring for. So my deepest concern is that we try to realign this in some way, and it will probably take a collaboration of government and people to figure out what are the solutions. I do note that some caregivers will be paid now, and I think that's a wonderful improvement in the situation. But very often, it's not just the money, and I know I started there, but it's not simply the money that suffers for caregivers or the financial condition but rather their own pursuit of happiness and their well-being also can suffer with what becomes for some of us a 24-7, 365-5 drain. And having looked at the faces of family members who say, oh, no, I can't help you, I have to say this is where a lot of the problem comes in. So I'm delighted to hear that you have a very supportive family around you. That's tremendously helpful, and I'm hoping to hear more of that in the future. But right now, I hear from people every day who are doing it alone and know that they are beginning to, to uh, deteriorate in terms of health and finances, lack of personal time, and social isolation. So I'll give you one really shocking statistic that I'm 71 right now, and I read that people in their 70s who've been caregiving are 70% more likely to die before the people they care for, because that's the point when often burden of care really heats up as people become older. And yet so much of this is disproportionately falling on female family members, either the wife or the elder daughter, typically. So that's the thing I think we have to be concerned about. So I'm a little worried, and that's why I'm here. I'm very grateful to you to give me this moment to speak about it. I'd like to know what is it specifically I could tell you that would help you and help your audience know more. Well, totally. I think it just resonated with me that caregivers are the largest uh, healthcare providers in the country. And uh, I mean, we're in Canada, but it's no different in Canada than in the United States. Um, and you're right. We, the government funds home care, which is, you know, uh, a, there's a critical shortage of paid caregivers. And so, so much of the care and support that a person with a disability or a senior requires ends up falling to the family to be able to do. And as, as I was explaining just prior to the start of our interview, in, in my case, I've had MS for 25 years. I'm now in a power wheelchair. But when I was first diagnosed with MS, I, I mean, that point you need a caregiver but it's been very much over the last 25 years a family disease my daughter was 10 months old and my son was five when I was diagnosed so they grew up in an environment over the last 25 years they're now you know 26 and 31 where you know mom has always had a disability and the disability progression for somebody with MS is not so much you wake up one morning and you're in a wheelchair. So that we've had that whole, as a family, adapting to, you know, first of all, we needed to, you know, adapt a washroom in the house. Then we had to put a stair lift in the house. Then, you know, I'm going to say probably about 17 years ago, I needed to have paid caregivers come in to help me get dressed in the morning. And at that point, I still worked full time. You know, so my my family all along 
you know, and we're talking about young children, you know, teenagers, that kind of thing, have always been, you know, in that situation where in our house it's been very much a caregiving environment. And I really resonated with what you said about a lot of caregivers potentially passing away before the person that they care for. And so my husband, who's been, you know, my primary caregiver, he's five years older than me. And we do know that women live longer than men. So it it could very well be a situation, you know, hopefully not in the near future, but it certainly could be a situation for me that I would lose, you know, not only my husband, but my primary caregiver while I'm still alive. I mean, I have a chronic disease that I will have to live with uh, and deal with for the rest of my life, but I couldn't do anything on a daily basis without the assistance of caregivers, whether that be my husband or paid caregivers that I have. And so what I think society does not realize, or as you said, what governments don't realize, is the need for that unpaid, basically it's an unpaid healthcare service to be recognized for what it is. You know, uh, I in Canada, it's, it's exactly the same. I can hire somebody that I don't know to come in and be a caregiver and get paid. And yet my husband or my daughter or my son who have technically been in that role for, you know, the past, we'll say 15 to 20 years since my disability progressed, have been doing that in an unpaid role for all that time. And yeah, I agree. There's something wrong with that. You're right. Whether it's, you know, for example, I I can't put myself to bed at night. That means that if my husband, he does go fishing once a year, you know, we, we have to bring in a paid caregiver that can help put me to bed at night. And yet that's one week a year. So the other, you know, 358 days a year, you know, he has to do it um, and uh, and he doesn't get paid for it. So, uh, yeah, there's something wrong with that picture. I want to turn back to the work that you do in terms of like who cares for the caregiver. And let's discuss a little bit about the I, I call it caregiver burnout, because certainly, especially if you're caring for a spouse that has, uh, you know, dementia or something like that. And say you've been married for 50 years, you know, now you're changing that whole dynamic of your relationship and, you know, be very exhausting. I know I, I watched that with my parents. My mom had significant health challenges. My dad, you know, in his late sixties became the primary caregiver for my mom. Yeah. That's often about when it happens. My actually resonate with that. My Parents were a doctor and a nurse, and toward the end of their lives, they were caring for one another. And my mother died at my age, and my father died a few months later at age 80. So I became my father's caregiver. I had been trying to help my mother, who was a very fierce, proud person who was going to do this by herself because she was a nurse, was uh, suffering from emphysema and a variety of other airway types of diseases and she carried around two oxygen tanks all the time and a walker and yet she didn't want to give up any of the role of being my father's wife my mother and all of those things she wanted to do so I I think she exhausted herself because my father had some uh, he was bipolar depressive 
in addition to having had numerous heart attacks. So between the two of them, they both needed caregivers. And unfortunately, they were too proud to accept that kind of help. And when I, after my mother died, suddenly on a Thanksgiving morning one day, my father just called me and I, I moved in with him. And just the staggering amount of work my mother was doing because they didn't close his office for various reasons, even though he had her medicine. I took on all of the hats that she was wearing and uncritically, this, we have to fix this. And I suddenly was very much like my mother in terms of trying to do it all. And I will tell you, I, I couldn't keep up. It was, I don't know how he was able to do it, but it is that stress factor that really creates the problem and the conditions people who are caregivers tend to suffer from are heart disease or hypertension or diabetes. And that was at the moment when I was becoming clinically detectable as a diabetic. And after my father passed away, just a couple of months after, he had a massive heart attack. And I went to the doctor and a few months later, and I said, I'm still tired. I'm still exhausted. I, I, I don't, I just don't have any energy. So I had the test and there I found out that I, I was diabetic myself. And the spiral there is just now so predictable. We can see it happening when people don't have a team of caregivers. So you and your husband have done the right thing by having help besides trying to do all this by yourself. And I think many caregivers are like my parents were too proud to ask for help or perhaps can't afford it because it is very expensive to hire a paid caregiver. And we that's my concern. So my role, I think, in all of this is to help caregivers assess their current well-being and look at the things they're not able to do that would take away the stress. And that may mean hiring someone else or it may mean carving out some time with some family assistance to do those kinds of quality of life goals that make your life meaningful and worth living. So I guess we could call that the pursuit of happiness. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I mean, I can tell you, my mom was a nurse. My dad was a mechanic, but my dad ended up being primary caregiver to my mom. And my mom was same, uh, very proud, was a nurse, was actually a geriatric nurse. So she had worked in, you know, retirement and long-term care homes. So she was certainly aware of, you know, the toll that those kinds of things would take on a caregiver. But I, I think, I don't think either of them ever thought, you know, we need to hire somebody to and in the end, my my mom, she was on dialysis and the clinic that she had to go to every other day for four hours was 30 minutes away and my mom never drove. So basically from the time that my dad retired, he spent 30 minutes away, a four hour, you know, five hours every other day, just taking my mom to dialysis. I mean, you know, this is, you know, forget any respite time or time to do anything of your own which is, it was just so very, for me, it was so very unfortunate for my parents because they both worked so hard their whole lives and never really enjoyed their retirement because of my mom's health issues. And, you know, my dad understandably was lost after my mom passed, but my mom wasn't even gone a year and my dad was diagnosed with terminal cancer and lasted a month after his diagnosis. So, you know, here I'm the oldest daughter and at that point was dealing with my own disability progression. But 
you know, just from a family perspective, I mean, we did, we were very supportive, but, you know, it just goes to show that, you know, that, that concept of, you know, you work so hard all your life so that hopefully you can enjoy, you know, your, what, what my mom used to say, whoever called it the golden years and what they were talking about. Because all of the things that come with the golden years, the health challenges, the needing to be a caregiver, the, you know, all of that kind of stuff just consumed their lives after my mom was diagnosed with kidney disease. And, um, you know, it, it was just very much that became their full time job. I mean, you know, if it wasn't that they were dealing with the fact that my mom had to go every other day for treatments, you know, there were the doctor's appointments and there was all of that kind of stuff that went along with that. All I can say is that in the end, I'm just, you know, and it's a terrible thing to say, but I, I honestly don't know how either one of them would have dealt with my dad being diagnosed with cancer while my mom was still alive. Because in that case, it would have been both of them uh, dealing with such a significant uh, health issue. Um, and, you know, I could just see my mom just trying to pitch in and be you know, they'd have been trying to be caregivers for each other. And, uh, you know, that just wouldn't have been realistic. And um, so the other thing that I think it's really important is to understand that the relationship that a caregiver has with the person that they're caring for is so very important. And what happens when the healthcare system lets us down, we'll say, I actually had a, a neighbor who's she was caring for her elderly husband and I was paying a paid caregiver to come in, but the agency would continually send someone different. So every time a different caregiver showed up, she had to basically try to train them to do what they were supposed to do. And what the reason that they were coming in was to give her a break, to give her some respite. And that didn't happen. So what ended up happening is that she basically decided that it wasn't worth it. It wasn't worth it to have this paid caregiver coming in with no consistency. It's so important for someone that's receiving care to have that consistent care and, you know, the person that's coming in and what time they're coming so that the caregiver can get that much needed break that they need. And so that's an, another, I'm sure it's the same in the U.S. There's a shortage of paid caregivers. You get very little under any kind of government program. And then, you know, the expectation that the family will just somehow pick up the slack yeah, is just such a, a burden on everybody. And, you know, as you said, we, you know, you end up with the stress of all of that, changing the dynamic in a relationship. And whether it's daughter, as you said, looking after your parents, even that changes the, the dynamic in a relationship, right? These are your parents, but now you're looking after them after they raised you. Anyway, I just, uh, you know, I think it, we could talk for hours. This is a, a topic that's just so very near and dear to my heart and the work that I do and, and the life that I live as a person with a disability. So before we wrap up, Deborah, just any kind of last thoughts on caring for the caregiver? I think your message is, is so vital for people to understand. Well, I thank you. I think that movement toward aging at, in place at home is a wonderful philosophical inspiration. However, I'm really concerned that this is a way of saving money and not ultimately going to benefit either of them that dyad. 
in terms of caregiver or care recipient. So we really need to think this through and try to create a reward instead of a punishment structure to take care of this huge social concern. We can't ignore it anymore, especially with the baby boomer generation. So I sincerely hope that programs like yours and other discussions that we can have are going to advance the topic that we can make some good choices about how to improve the quality of life for everybody, not just caregivers. Oh, yeah. And uh, that whole concept of aging in place, which is where people want to be. They don't want to have to go to long-term care or retirement home or that kind of thing. But again, the government needs to recognize that requires the appropriate funding for those supports and services to be there for people. So that could be a whole discussion for another day. (laughs) But uh, I want to thank you again so much for joining us, Deborah. If you've uh, listened to the podcast and something that uh, Deborah and I have discussed today resonates with you, or it's a topic that you'd like to share with somebody, please leave us a review, share the podcast uh, with uh, people that you feel might be interested. This is a topic that I believe touches so many people out there in our population. Deborah's contact information will be in the show notes. And until next time, thank you again for listening to the Accessibility Solutions Podcast. And until next time, cheers. Thank you. Thank you for joining us on the Accessibility Solutions Podcast hosted by Linda Hunt. We hope these discussions have inspired you and provided valuable insights into the world of accessibility and inclusion. If you're ready to take the next steps in creating an accessible and inclusive environment, we invite you to book a personalized accessibility solutions consultation with Linda. As an experienced accessibility consultant, Linda will work closely with you to develop innovative solutions tailored to your unique needs and challenges. Together, you'll navigate the complexities of accessibility regulations, explore inclusive design principles, and implement practical strategies to ensure equal access for all. Don't miss this opportunity to make a real difference, visit our website at solutionsforaccessibility.com. And that's the number four. So solutionsforaccessibility.com. Schedule your consultation today. Let's transform your space into an inclusive and welcoming environment for everyone. Thanks again for listening to the Accessibility Solutions Podcast. Stay tuned for more empowering episodes as we continue our journey towards a more accessible world.